Amen. Lord, we thank You that we have this opportunity, this privilege to worship You together as Your people this morning. And Lord, thank You that we are gonna get this to do this forever with You, in fact. It's what we were created for, was to worship You, to honour You, great God. And so thank You for Your presence here with us by Your Holy Spirit. And now as we come to gather around Your Word, Lord, we thank You that You're a God who longs to meet us personally right where we're at, Lord. You wanna do that, speak to us this morning. So we open our hearts to You now, great God. And I pray that you will change us, transform us, make us more like you, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Just want to add my welcome. So great to have you joining with us. If you're linking in online, whichever platform you're on, so great to have you with us. To those in here, those up on the mezzanine, so good to see you worshipping up the top there. Gold class in the chapel. Our family services have been happening today as well. Three family services. So Still continue to give thanks to God for the opportunity we have to be gathering in person as well as online. And I was thinking this morning, we really need to put our hands together for all of our grandparents and praise God for the blessing they are in our lives. We really do just want to honour you um, today. Well, uh, it's great to be sharing with you as we continue in our series. We're in the middle of this series, Let Light Shine Out of Darkness in the book of 2 Corinthians. And today we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, many years ago now, a friend of mine uh, bought a Suzuki Sierra soft top four wheel drive and uh, it was black. It had chrome wheels, if you sort of get in the picture here. And I was pretty glad to hang out with my mate with his little Suzuki Sierra. It was a lot of fun and gave us some good adventures. And uh, that was until one day my mate made what you might describe as an unwise decision probably a bit of an understatement actually, but we were on a church um, dirt bike camp and it was out on a property where guys would come with their dirt bikes and they'd built earth ramps for the bikes to jump over and you know, a bit of a track for the bikes to race around and it was a lot of fun. The only problem was that my friend and I didn't have a dirt bike, we didn't own a dirt bike, but we did have this Suzuki Sierra and after a day of watching these bikes, doing the jumps and racing around, uh, we were pretty keen to get in on the action. You can only sit and watch for so long. And so my friend had this idea. He wondered if he could actually um, take his Suzuki Sierra over those dirt bike jump ramps. Uh, now, I wasn't sure this was the wisest idea uh, when he sort of suggested this to me, but somehow I found myself in the passenger seat of his Suzuki Sierra as my friend, my mate, was lining up this dirt bike jump. Uh, and the crowd by this stage were gathering around and they were pretty keen to see what might happen here as well. They were sort of in, in on this and after some discussion and not too much consideration of the risks by my friend, uh, he, he had made up his mind that he was going to do this. Like he was you know, building up his courage, his resolve with the help of the crowd, I might say. They were sort of egging him on here. But then he turned to me, being the good friend that he was, and just as we we're about to go, he turned to me and he said, Nathan... If you want to get out of the car, this is your opportunity right now. Now, being the wise young man that I was at the time, you would think that at this point in the story that I opened the door and got out of the car. Uh, but you may have guessed that I wasn't quite that smart or wise um, because I thought, I wonder what people will think of me. If I get out of the car now, uh, if I chickened out now, you know, what would, what would the crowd think of me that we're building up around there? What would my mate think of me? What would he be saying afterwards if I sort of bailed out now. And so we lined up this jump and we headed 
to it at some speed and all I remember was hanging on really tightly to this little handle that was on the dashboard in front of me. And I remember um, this moment of being airborne and thinking, this is all wrong. This is not meant to be how it is. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment, how on earth did I get myself in this situation? Have you ever had a moment like that where you think, how on earth did I get myself in this situation? And then we landed on the other side of this jump with this almighty crash to the ground. It actually sounded like, it was so loud, that the engine had just dropped out through the the floor of this little Suzuki Sierra and the engine just cut out as soon as we landed. But we sort of had made it to the other side and the crowd, you know, were going crazy, we're cheering. and, And we thought, oh, well, this is all good. It's worked out pretty good. That was until we went to try and drive off and we suddenly realized that something was very wrong. Uh, And we got out and we had a look at the car and the wheels of the car were actually sticking out on an angle like this. The axle, as we'd hit the ground, it literally just bent the axle up on each side and the car, we realized in that moment, was completely undrivable. And and suddenly that celebration, the excitement turned to the realisation of what had just taken place and, um, you know, this this despair sort of kicked in. What were we going to do now? And I can tell you it was definitely a decision that my mate regretted, particularly when he had to ring his dad. Not the sort of phone call you want to make four hours away, Dad, would you come and pick us up and would you bring a car trailer with you? Not the phone call you want to make. And then when he got the repair bill as well. And reflecting back on that story, although perhaps it wasn't my decision directly to do that jump, I was there, I was present, and because of my association with my friend, I was very much caught up in all that took place. Now, I just want to clarify here that he is a very good Christian friend. If he's watching today, he's a good Christian friend of mine, wise and godly, and we have both matured a lot since then. I just want to assure you of that and put that little caveat in there. But... Reflecting back on that story, it got me thinking about the fact that the influence of our friends and those we spend a lot of time with and those who we're even just associated closely with can have a very significant influence on our lives. Their decisions can so often impact us. And often just by association, we can find ourselves in situations where we wonder, how did I get here? How did I end up in this place? How did I end up in this situation? It's because of this very reason that the Bible talks a lot about the fact that we are to choose our friends wisely. One of my um, favourite stories, and I've shared this before, it's a true story of a 104-year-old woman who was asked this question. She was asked, what is the best thing about being 104 years old? And she thought about this for a moment and then she said, no peer pressure. (laughs) I love that story. Words of wisdom. But the reality is, it's true, isn't it? Those that we spend time with, peer pressure is a real thing. Those we spend the most time with, whether we realise it or not, it can be incredibly subtle, but they begin to influence us. They begin to have an impact on our lives, either for good or for bad. And if you're a parent here this morning, And then you will know this instinctively because you are very interested to know who your kids are hanging out with. If you're a grandparent here this morning, Grandparent Sunday, you know this instinctively. You know the influence that others can have on our children. It's this principle that Paul is picking up on in our passage today. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and we're going to read from verse 14. And Paul says this, 
He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Isn't that an incredible thought? That we are the temple of the living God, that he would dwell within us by his Holy Spirit. And as his church, we're the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean things and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Incredible truth that we can call the Creator God our Father, that we can be His children. Therefore, since we have these promises from God, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. This is God's word to us this morning. If you're here with us last week, uh, we were looking at God's calling for us to be Christ's ambassadors to the world. Paul has just finished talking about how we are to go into the world, that we're not to be a holy huddle tucked away in isolation, but rather we are to reach out to the community. We are to be people who are compelled by the love of Christ to share the good news of the hope and life that is found in Him. We are to be His hands and feet, is what um, Jesus said as we head out, as we care for people practically, as we share this message, as we welcome the crowds, which is the calling that God has given to us as a church. And I wanna tell you, it was so exciting to see this taking place up at the op shop yesterday. So exciting to see God opening up for us another opportunity, amazing opportunity to be able to welcome the crowds, to be able to love people in Jesus' name, to help people in practical ways, for them to be able to come and experience the presence of God and His love in community. Because this is God's heart. This is the mission that He has called us to as a church and as followers of Jesus. But now here in this section, immediately following Paul talking about all this, he almost seems to contradict himself. Now he says, don't associate with unbelievers and come out and be separate from the world. So what does Paul mean here when he says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers? What is the point that he is getting at? Obviously, Paul is not saying, do not associate with unbelievers at all because he's just told us to go out, to, to, to be light in our world, to be salt in our world, to be ministers of reconciliation in our workplaces, in our communities, our neighbourhoods, wherever he takes us. So what does Paul mean here? What's he talking about? Well, Paul knows that there is a vulnerability that every single one of us have. No matter how mature we are as Christians, no matter how wise we might think we are, in the journey of life and in the Christian faith, Paul knows that every single one of us have a blind spot. And it's this, it's that we are all susceptible to the influences of those we spend the most time with because it's how we're wired as human beings. It's how we are knit together. And whoever you become close to, whoever you bring into your inner circle, whoever you're associating with and spend a lot of time with, they will begin, whether you realise it or not, they are going to begin to have an influence on your life. There's a saying that I remember hearing, and it's this, 
I'm not sure who it was that said it, but the saying, show me your friends and I will show you your future. That's what, that's what the Bible is saying. That's what the Bible speaks this same truth. Show me your friends and I will show you your future. And Paul here explains it like this. He says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. And the imagery here is, is the picture of plowing a field. Paul is speaking into this society where agriculture was, was everything for them. And it's based from an Old Testament passage in Deuteronomy 22 verse 10, which says, do not plow with an ox and a donkey yoked together. And the reason for this very practical instruction from the Old Testament is because over a long distance, it is impossible to plow a straight line if you have an ox and a donkey yoked together. Although it might start out okay for a little while, eventually what is gonna happen is it's gonna begin to veer, the donkey will begin to lead the ox off course And although the ox is so much stronger, eventually over a long period of time, it's just gonna naturally happen. It's like having an axle with a larger wheel on one side, a smaller wheel on the other. Eventually it is going to veer off course. And when you look back, when you look at the final outcome, if you're trying to plow that field, you're gonna look back and realize, man, how did I end up over here? It's not a straight line. It's not gonna be good for for sowing into and it's gonna be a big mess. And Paul says it is exactly the same for us in the journey of life. We need to choose our friends wisely because all of us are vulnerable to being influenced towards ungodly attitudes, towards actions that aren't pleasing to God. And this process can be so subtle that often we don't even notice that it is going on. Until one day we look back and we think, how did I end up in this place? How did I find myself in this situation? How did I get here? And Paul explains this same principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, his first letter to the Corinthians. He says this, he says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And how many times have you heard the phrase said, oh, they got mixed up with the wrong crowd. Often you hear, people say that statement. Christian author Max Licardo tells about a time when he had to catch an early flight and he flies all around the world speaking and he was really tired. He dozed off while he was waiting for this plane and suddenly he was roused from from his sleep from the noise of a crowd moving toward the boarding gate. And so he hurriedly gathered his belongings together, not wanting to miss the flight, and he joined in with them and boarded the plane. And then when he took his seat on the plane, he sort of dozed off again into another nap. And sometime later, the sun began to shine in through the window of this plane, the morning sun shining in, and he heard the flight attendant announce the estimated time of their arrival in Houston, which is now only an hour or so away. The problem was when he heard that announcement is that he was supposed to be flying to Denver, not to Houston is where he was meant to be going. And awakening in that terminal uh, and seeing the crowd heading to that gate to board the plane, he just simply followed along with the crowd, boarded the wrong plane and ended up in completely the wrong destination. But you know, it's exactly the same for us, isn't it? That we can so easily just get caught up with the wrong crowd. That's what Paul is talking about. 
And like it or not, we, we tend to be chameleons. Again, it's our human nature. We tend to act like the people we associate with the most. And sooner or later, we start to take on their values. King Solomon in the Old Testament also speaks about this same principle in this way. This is how he puts it in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He says, He who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And ironically, the ironic thing about this proverb is that King Solomon didn't follow his own advice. We read the story of King Solomon in 1 Kings, and as the son of King David, he became the heir to the throne of Israel, and Solomon began his journey. If you know his story, he began as, as very godly and humble and, and a very wise man in how he started out in his journey. But sadly, this, this gradual drift began. In 1 Kings 3, we read how the Lord appeared to Solomon back at the beginning of his journey in Gibeon, met him at Gibeon in a dream and said to, Saul, said to Solomon, he said, whatever you want to have, just ask me and I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. He asked for a discerning heart so that he could govern God's people well. And the Lord was pleased with this request that Solomon made. We read in 1 Kings 3, Verse 11, so God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for a long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And God did this for King Solomon, gave him great wisdom, poured out his blessing upon him. So that we read seven chapters later that in, in chapter 10 of 1 Kings, it says that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world, it says, sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. And Solomon accumulated chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. The king, get this, the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. Talk about blessing. Talk about prosperity. This is it right here. Things are going incredibly well for Solomon. You know, if I was to ask you what you thought are the greatest dangers to faith, for people maintaining their faith and growing in their walk with God. If I was asked you, what do you think are the greatest dangers for this? We, we often tend to think that it's difficult times, that it's challenging circumstances and suffering that will lead us away from God, that, that would raise doubts and concerns that would be the undoing of our faith. And these situations can impact our life. But we often miss two of the greatest dangers to faith and belief because they're far more subtle, nowhere near as obvious as when we're facing suffering. And they are these. Firstly, and we see this in King Solomon's story, firstly, in a life of ease and prosperity, we have to be careful when we're in that place and the negative influence of those we associate most closely with. We see here King Solomon experienced much blessing. He had a good, things were going well for him. But then we come to chapter 11 and there's actually a, a, a distinct change in the narrative tone. It changes abruptly, in fact, at chapter 11. And we see where everything begins to unravel for King Solomon. This is what it says, 
chapter 11. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. And as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And it's really, really sad, in fact, when you, when you read King Solomon's story. It was like this slow, gradual drift for Solomon. It wasn't like one day he woke up and said, I'm going to now just turn my back on God. It wasn't like that at all. If you read the story, it's just this gradual, slow drift away. And it's like he didn't even really realise what was going on. And the outcome of all this uh, was devastating, not just for King Solomon, but for the whole kingdom of Israel. The kingdom was split in two. And it caused much pain and despair and heartache and it would impact generations to come. But we see here so clearly where it all went wrong. Firstly, for Solomon, everything was going well. This life of ease and prosperity, and he stopped depending on God. So you see, this is the thing when we're in hardship and suffering. Often we turn to God because we need him so desperately. Yet when things are easy, we can often just do things on our own. And the second thing was this, his wives turned his heart, we read, towards other gods. Right? The influence of those that were close to him. People who, who God had said to them, you're not to be connected with them. You're not to be linked in so closely like that with them. And how sad is this when it was Solomon himself who had said in Proverbs, he who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so I want you to see how we are all vulnerable to this. If King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, is vulnerable to this, you and I are vulnerable to this. And so we hear this from Paul. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Choose your friends wisely. But the question then is for all of us, well, then how can I discern who, to, who do I need to have on my team and who do I need to get off my team? How do I discern that? How do I know who those people are? Well, Paul actually helps us in this passage. He actually gives us some guidance and a test that we can use. Because if we go back to verse three of chapter six, so I didn't read this earlier, but Paul actually gives a defense of his ministry against the false teachers who had infiltrated the Corinthian church. And they'd been this destructive influence in the church. And they, they were not the real deal. And remember, I, I explained last week, there were those in the church who were saying it was all about eloquent speech and about outward appearance and demonstrations of strength and, and power and popularity. And they were intentionally undermining Paul's leadership. They were intentionally causing division in the church. And in contrast to this, Paul says, do not be swayed by good arguments and eloquent, eloquent speech. He said, don't be swayed by that. He said, instead, look at a person's life. Look at a person's action. If you want to discern, if you want to know who the real deal is, look at the life they live. Look at their relationships with others. Look at their business dealings. Look at the way they respond under pressure. And someone once said that the way we live is actually the most reliable indicator of what we really believe. And that is a good test. That's what Paul's about to say here. He says it like this. He says, don't just look at their words. He says, look at my life. He says, look at my actions. Verse three, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, 
in great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknowing, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet we're always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. And what Paul's saying, he's saying, if you want to know what the real deal is, look at our lives, look at the life of that person, look at their actions. Look at the nitty gritty of the day to day of their life. He says things like this in that passage. He says, do they endure? Are they humble? Are they sacrificial? You know, willing to count the costs in following Jesus? Do they put others ahead of themselves? Do they work hard is one of the things he mentions. Do they have a servant heart and seek first the kingdom of God above everything else in their life? Do they demonstrate patience and kindness? And you could add the rest of the fruit of the spirit in there as well if you wanted to. Are they truthful in speech? Do they seek to live a pure and holy life that is pleasing to God? Are they teachable? Do they pull others down or do they lift others up? Do they have a critical spirit or are they fostering love and and unity and peace? How do they respond in the midst of hardship and trouble when it comes their way? How do they respond to those who criticise them or have mistreated them or speak badly of them? How do they respond when they fail or make a mistake? And are they always pursuing more from the world or are they content with what God has given them? Paul says these are the types of things that you should be looking at if you want to discern the real, if you're trying to work out who do I need to get on my team, who do I need to get off my team? He says these are the practical tests and there's other passages like this in Scripture that you can go to to help you. And then Paul says once you have worked out who should be on your team and who you need to get off your team, he says don't mess around once you work this out. He said, because there is a lot at stake. He says, if there are people on your team who are influencing you in the wrong way, this is what he says in verse 17. He says, therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. This is the instruction to us from God's word. Come out from them and be separate. Don't associate with them anymore. And this is the key message from God's word for us this morning. And I don't want any of us to miss this because there is so much at stake, not impacting just our lives, but generations to come. Here we are, grandparents, Sunday, we know this, grandparents know this. There may be people who you may be spending time with or associating with or are communicating with and they are not a good influence in your life. They may be subtly leading you on a path and that path is going to lead to a lot of hurt and pain and heartache and regret in your life. And their influence is is deadening your spiritual life. It's impacting your intimacy with God. It's almost certainly also impacting the relationships of those you are closest to as well. And here is Paul's instruction. He says, do not be yoked together with them anymore. He says, you need to cut that influence off from your life. You need to get those people off your team. And yes, you need to be wise in how you do this. Right? We're not meant to charge off in this. We're not to cause any unnecessary hurt or pain here. But at the same time, the instruction here is clear and we are not to miss this. 
And there is one word of caution and clarification here, which, which is really important. Often this verse, um, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, is used in connection with marriage. Often you'll hear people talk about it in relation to, to marriage. And I want to clarify here that Paul is not saying that if you are married to an unbeliever, you need to separate from them. That's not what he is saying. In fact, he says just the opposite. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul strongly encourages Christians to remain committed to their unbelieving spouse. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 7, 14. He says, for the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage. And the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. So if that is you this morning, the word is to stay committed, to keep loving, to keep serving, to keep praying, keep being faithful in that relationship and God will bless that and, and honour that and will help you in that situation. But if you are considering dating or you're considering marriage here this morning, then you need to get hold of this principle. This is really important. As I conclude this morning, I want to just highlight why this, is, this teaching is so important, why it's so significant for each and every one of us. Adolf Eichmann was one of the Nazi architects of the Holocaust who escaped after World War II to South America, in fact, but he was eventually caught in 1960 and he was taken back to Israel to be put on trial. And he was eventually tried and found guilty, but there was a very interesting incident during the trial. They had to find witnesses who actually saw him participate, saw Eichmann participate in the atrocities at the death camps. And one of the material witnesses was a man named Yehiel Danu. And when he came to testify, he saw Eichmann. He made eye contact with Eichmann in the glass booth in the courtroom. And as soon as he made eye contact with Eichmann, he broke down, like falling to the ground, just sobbing un controllably and there was pandemonium as this took place in the courtroom and the judge was you know hammering to get order and to get everyone back um, calmed down again it was very dramatic how it all took place and sometime later Denour was actually interviewed by Mike Wallace on 60 Minutes in the US and Wallace actually in, in this interview showed Denour the footage of him collapsing and as he walked into that courtroom and he asked him Wallace asked him what happened were you overwhelmed by the painful memories in that moment? Or were you overwhelmed with hatred? Is that why you collapsed, Dunur? And Dunur said, no. And then he said something that clearly shocked Wallace, shocked everyone who was listening to this interview. He said that in that moment, as I made eye contact with Eichmann, he said, I was overcome by the realisation that Eichmann was just an ordinary human being. And he said, in that moment, I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable to do this exactly like he is. And the scariest thing about that whole chapter of, of history is not the few individual evil architects of it, but the complicity of the vast numbers of people across a society that was producing some of the, most, the world's best scholarship and science and culture. And I want you to see this morning that all of us are so vulnerable to this. All of us are. And that is why Paul says here, it is so important that we choose our friends wisely and to separate from those who are pulling us away from God that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to show us because it can be so subtle sometimes. We cannot even realise sometimes the impact and influence they are having on our lives. And the promise is this, he says in verse 16. He says, and as God has said, I will live with them. 
and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, these are promises from God this morning. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And I love this that there is this promise that when we respond in obedience in this way, there is a promise here for us. Don't miss it. That when we do that, God promises to be with us, to make known His power and His presence in our lives. And this is important because I know that often this process is incredibly difficult. It's easy just to say, well, choose your friends wisely. You know, who do you need to get off your team? But when it actually comes to the point in time of making that decision, taking the action steps there, it can be incredibly hard. Because sometimes this can mean ending a long-term friendship, and that's not easy. Sometimes it can mean a change in our circumstances or situations that when we think about, we can look at the future and and be afraid and think, well, what's this gonna mean? It can have implications for other circles of your friendship as well. I know this, and so it's not easy when you, it's easy to say it, but when we actually have to act on it, it's incredibly hard. But I want you to see, if that's you this morning, you think, I don't know if I can do this. I want you to see that God promises to be with you. That if you respond in faith and obedience, He promises to turn up His presence and His power to lead you, to guide you. And when you look back in a year's time, two years' time, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the track, I can assure you, you will not regret that decision. You will not regret that decision. You will be giving much thanks to God for the blessing it has brought to your life, but not just to your life, but for the generations to come. Because it's not just you, it impacts. It impacts others closely. It impacts your children, families. It's what we're talking about today too, the generational impact of that on our Grandparents Sunday. And so as we close this morning, I just want you now in these few moments just to open your heart to God. Open your heart to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And don't think to yourself, oh, this doesn't impact me, this doesn't include me. We're all in this, we've all got to be cautious of this. I want you just now in these moments just to open your heart to God and just to reflect and ask Him to speak to you. Are there people of influence in your life that you realise are pulling you in the wrong direction. Maybe it's causing you just to lose a bit of that fire and passion for God in your life, just deadening you. Maybe it's only slightly, but it's just deadening deadening you spiritually. Well, then that's that's a flag this morning to be aware of. Are there people you are spending too much time with that are making questionable decisions that were never options for you before? If that's you this morning, then again, that's a flag, a a warning from you this morning to, to, to really pray about this and to look at this carefully. Are there people on your team that are leading you to compromise in areas of conviction and belief that you've always held to? Well, if that's your situation again, that is a, a flag, that's something that we need to be alert to this morning. Are there people you are associating closely with that are leading you to rationalise behaviours and and thoughts and actions that you previously would have avoided? Are there people like that in your life this morning? Are there those you are spending time with that are leading you into compromising environments and situations? And again, these are flags for us this morning. If that is the case, if the Holy Spirit is bringing a name to mind or a situation or a circumstance to mind, you need to act. There is so much at stake here, there really is. And on the flip side this morning, are there some people that you need to get onto your team? There's some people you need to get yourself around and associate with humble, godly people that are passionate about following Jesus, that you can do the journey of faith with. We're not meant to do the journey alone, we're not. 
some people you can get around you that will keep you accountable, to stir up within you that passion and desire to live for God. If that's you, then you need to take action as well. You need to get those people around you. You need to join a connect group if you're not in one. You need to come along to one of our prayer meetings, one of our regular prayer meetings. You need to make it a priority just to get to church regularly, to sign up for a course, just to put yourself in those environments where you are gonna encounter these people. These people are gonna be around you and with you. Surround yourself with these people. And it'll be such a blessing to your life. And I wanna say this as well this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, but I am way too far down that path. I've been led way off track. And maybe you're thinking, Nathan, if you knew how far away I am, if you knew my situation and circumstance, you would say, say, there's no way you can come back. But I want you to tell you that God says to you this morning, it is never too late, never too late to turn to Him. No matter what sort of situation or mess you might find yourself in this morning, God, the God of grace and compassion says to you this morning, stop running from me, turn to me. And He is amazing. He is a redeeming Saviour. He can turn any situation around. He can. And it's never too late to come and to begin afresh. Maybe once you knew a passion for God and you've drifted away from Him, well, this morning you can say, God, I want to turn back to you. I want to come back to you. I want to respond in obedience to what you're saying to me by the Holy Spirit. And if you will do this, you can be sure of the promises that God says, that He will be with you. He'll make His presence known to you, that He will help you through all that you need to navigate as you come back to Him. And, and He will bless you in that. And through that, you will receive great blessing not only to your life, but the lives of others around you and for generations to come. This is God's heart this morning, church. This is God's heart that we would live as a holy people, because as we do that, the world is looking on and they are looking to know, are we the real deal or not? And they are looking not so much at our words, but they are looking at our actions. They are looking at the way we live our life. And as we live following Him, as we live the real deal, that makes our light shine more brightly than ever before. Have a greater impact than ever before. Can be more effective in the mission, the calling that God has given to us than ever before. So this is God's call to us this morning. And so we're gonna pray and just respond in our hearts. Let's join our hearts together in prayer right now. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word to us. We thank You that it's just so practical and real. It speaks into the reality of our life, Lord. And it's true, Lord, Your Word, when it comes to us, Lord, it's there not to condemn us, but because, Lord, You wanna guide us and lead us into all that You have for us, great God. And I wanna pray this morning for some particularly, Lord, who You're just speaking to. And you're identifying some situations and circumstances and relationships. Well, Lord, I want to pray now that as they turn to you, as they cry out to you, that you will give them, Lord, the courage they need to take those steps, the wisdom they need, great God, the godly um, advice and, and input they need as they make these decisions, I pray. But, Lord, I pray that they will respond. They wouldn't put this off any longer. I pray that, Lord. And for us as a church, Lord, our prayer is that you'd help us become more and more like you, Jesus so that as we do that, not only will we know that blessing, but we, Lord, are able to share the blessing, the hope and the life found with you in our world. We wanna be a light shining bright here, Lord. We wanna keep reaching out, loving well in our community, welcoming the crowds, great God, and that people when they come would know, Lord, that we're not just about words, but we wanna live this out. We wanna live surrendering everything we have to follow you, Lord Jesus. And so lead us in this, Lord. We can't do it on our own. We need your help. So we come to you now and we pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna respond this morning in worship. We're gonna sing a song that speaks of the goodness of God. And the bridge talks about 
uh, how in, in that, in the knowledge that we can just surrender our life to Him afresh. So why don't we stand together? We're gonna sing these words as we respond in our heart and let's worship Him together. Father, we do, we give You thanks for Your incredible goodness, Your faithfulness to us, great God. And so Lord, I wanna pray now Your blessing on each and every one. Lord, You long for us to know Your blessing to know Your presence in our lives. This is Your desire for each and every one of us, Lord. So I pray now, as we head out this week, as we seek to follow You and respond to You, Lord, Lord, that You would lead us as Your people, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' Name, Amen. Thanks so much for sharing with us this morning, those online as well. God bless you. And we pray that you'll be blessed this week and look forward to connecting with you again soon. Prayer this morning, do come. We'd love to email us at prayer at Bridgman. But all glory, and we'd love Thanks so much for sharing with us today, and we look forward to connecting with you again soon.